It can be very beneficial to regularly remind ourselves that despite all the assumptions we have, that we really don't know what we have ahead of us because we have this faculty of remembering and speculating it's very normal for us to live in a world based on uninspected assumptions very normal very understandable however it's probably not very productive. Notice how much enthusiasm children have, how much vitality they have, how much interest they have. To a large degree, I think it's safe to assume it's because their minds are not filled with assumptions. They don't necessarily believe that they know what's going to happen in the future. Their memories have not accumulated to such an extent that they can presume that what happened yesterday is going to happen tomorrow. It's, when they're very young, it's, everything's new and amazing. Even if it's awful, it's amazing. And with that comes vitality and interest. And so I would suggest then that it's a useful thing to just bring this to heart, bring this to mind on a regular basis that we really don't know. We can assume, and that's functional to assume. However, if our assumptions become compulsive and we really believe in our assumptions, then it kills off the enthusiasm and obstructs the interest. Skillful assumption, yes, speculation based on Memories of what happened in the past, it's safe to assume that the generous, thoughtful kitchen team here in the monastery will produce breakfast tomorrow, and around about 7.15 there will be some really nice power porridge, and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about where am I going to get food tomorrow. And that's, I think, a safe assumption. And the midday meal, probably likewise, the generous supporters of the monastery have filled the larder with food and the support team will prepare some food and there'll be a midday meal and I will be well fed tomorrow. That's a safe assumption. However, if I have an accident, and if I fall over and end up going to hospital, up until very recently, I, it would have been safe to assume that I could have gone into the hospital and it would have been dealt with. And We can't assume that right now. For reasons that probably everybody knows about. I was talking to a friend of the monastery this morning and he had had massive heart surgeries and well into his 70s, had heart surgery, had to go back into hospital again. He sat in the A&E for 14 hours assuming that we're going to get looked after, which we have done for the last few decades, is not a safe assumption. And it wasn't a safe assumption up until a few decades before that. Uh, a wonderful National Health Service that got created made it a safe, safe assumption. 
And it wasn't long before that, it wasn't a safe assumption to expect that there were going to be antibiotics or anaesthetics. These things are all very new. However, with affluence and technology, our life becomes filled with all these perceptions that if we don't stop and investigate, we can be holding to unsafe assumptions. And when life changes, as it will, for sure, everything changes, then we can be more than disappointed. We can become very angry and indignant. How could this happen? What do you mean I can't get the treatment that I think I'm, I deserve and when I deserve it and get around with attitudes of entitlement? And, and this principle applies on all sorts of levels. So, once again, I would suggest that it's, it can be very skillful, very sensible to remind ourselves we really don't know what we have ahead of us. It is probably safe to assume that sooner or later we're going to feel disappointed, frustrated, or as the, <clears throat> the Buddha put it, we're going to experience dukkha. And based on that assumption, we would be wise to prepare ourselves. So that's not compulsive, heedless assuming, that's skillful consideration based on past experience and my own experience of life and looking around at other people I think well it's pretty likely that at some stage I'm going to feel disappointed and frustrated and so how do we prepare ourselves for that and that of course is um, very core very central to our training Yes, it's also <clears throat> primary and emphasized by the Buddha that we should build up our storehouse of goodness and, and equip ourselves with a, a sense of self-confidence, um, build up a, a sufficiently integrated sense of self that is imbued with, with respect and, and gladness and, and gratitude and equipped with skills like patience and determination. And these forces of goodness uh, serve us well on this journey. However, the journey is not about just becoming good. The journey is how to meet the suffering of life in a way whereby we learn what we need to learn and become free from it. So we don't turn life unnecessarily into a problem. For sure, sooner or later in life, we're going to all experience pain. How can we, how can we meet the pain of life without turning it into problem. That's the task. And when there's wisdom, when there's real wisdom, then that's possible. And so preparing ourselves to be able to meet the difficulties of life is at the very core of this practice. And one of the epithets that the Buddha was referred to as is the great analyst. And one of the things he analyzed was the different types of suffering. Not because he was you know, misery guts, he wasn't that he was always going on about suffering because he didn't know what else to think about or talk about, not at all, but because out of wisdom he realized that it's, it's the mistake and we make when we encounter suffering, that's where we turn life into a problem. And so, yeah, he analyzed in great detail the different types of suffering that we experience, you know, like in the, those of you that are familiar with our morning chanting that we we have, we chant the Soka Pari Deva Dukkha Domanasu Payasa. 
sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. These are all subtly different forms of suffering that we can experience. And the Buddha wants us to be able to identify them. This is not just me having a bad time. This is, what is this? This is sorrow. Or this is sadness. Or apiehi sampayoga dukkha, which is association with that which is disagreeable. Piyehi vipayoga dukkha, which is separation from that which is agreeable. And yampi chagnalapanti tampi dukkham, disappointed with our lot. These different types of dukkha that the Buddha specifically identified, they pay attention to this feeling of limitation. Don't make the mistake of turning the everyday experience of pain into a problem. Everybody experiences association with that which they dislike. Somebody comes in the room wearing stinky socks. It's dislikable. It's disagreeable. Instead of this fragrance of beautiful incense that we have in the monastery, the person sitting next to you has got stinky socks. How disagreeable is that? That's association with the disagreeable. Piyehiwipa yoga dukkha. That's separation from that which is delightful. Somebody who's been living in the monastery for a good while and become a good friend and trustworthy and helpful and consistent and just generally good to have around and it's time for them to spend some time training at another monastery. The separation from that which is agreeable. So, not just being disappointed and then distracting ourselves by eating a pizza or checking the news on our smartphone, rather getting interested, analyzing, using our faculties of discernment to analyze the different forms of of dukkha. This is how we can prepare ourselves for what we have ahead of us. We don't know what we have ahead of us. However, it's a skillful assumption to factor in that sooner or later we're going to feel disappointed. So equip ourselves with a mental framework so that when this kind of dukkha arises, oh, that's what's going on right now. Okay, and we feel it. We meet it. We meet ourselves there in our suffering, feeling it in the body, in the whole body mind, not just in our heads, but in in the center of our chest where we feel, really feeling this is the sense of separation from that which is delightful, the sense of loss, the painful sense of loss feels like this. Do we have to become lost in the sense of loss, or can we simply feel it, feel beyond it, and let go of it? If we know how to feel what we feel without being defined by what we feel, then that's going in a very helpful direction. That's not being driven by the conditions of the world. Personally, I've found it helpful to also categorize the different types of suffering that I experience in terms of whether it's something that I'm generating here and now, what I refer to as present generated dukkha, or whether it's old unmet dukkha, or whether it's adopted dukkha. In my experience, these are quite different categories of dukkha, and they recall for a different approach, like if it's present-generated dukkha, like maybe the reliable 
breakfast team did prepare the power porridge, as I assumed they would. However, they got distracted and burnt it. And so I've got a nice bowl of not-so-nice burnt power porridge to eat in the morning. Well, that's, that's disappointing. And what do we do with, what do I do with disappointment? Do I fly into a rage and say that hopeless so-and-so, why can't they be more mindful cooking the power porridge in the morning? It's really important making a problem out of it. Mm-hmm. Or can I just feel disappointed in the body, in the center of the chest, feel this is disappointment feel around it, expand awareness to allow it. It's like biting into a lemon. If you bite into a lemon and expect it to taste like an orange, nice and sweet and yummy, you're in for a big disappointment. Lemons always taste sour. That's the nature of a lemon. Disappointment feels painful. But do we have to become that? Or can we feel it with some perspective? Can we allow that feeling to be there? to arise, to be there, and to pass away in open-hearted awareness. Well, if we can't, we resist it, so it shouldn't be this way. That's present-generated dukkha. That's what we're doing right now. We do do that regularly. Or there's old unmet dukkha that surfaces. And they're not necessarily completely disconnected, these different forms of dukkha. It is helpful to see them as somewhat distinct categories. Old unmet dukkha is where something happens and maybe somebody passes a a mild criticism about your behavior and then you feel absolutely crestfallen and devastated and and destroyed and your friendship has been ruined. and, And all they did was just gently suggest that maybe you could express yourself in a slightly different way. Perhaps, what if that happens, perhaps what's going on is that there's a backlog of old unmet dukkha. Yes, most of us carry loads of this. And unfortunately, in Buddhist meditation circles, a lot of people are not alert to how important it is to pay attention to this territory. They're taught the powerful meditation techniques and, and then they commit themselves to the practice of these meditation techniques and maybe with a lot of will and effort they break through to a dimension of frequency that's still and lovely and agreeable and think, oh, this is the result of practice. This is right practice. I've got to do more of this. And so they keep trying to do more of this. But what they don't realize is that in that willful effort and that initial enthusiasm, they avoided looking at this big backlog of pain that's been stored up in the basement this unmet dukkha, it's very easy to miss it. If it happens that we start at an early stage of life for very understandable reasons, not really feeling what we feel, instead just pushing it down to the basement, and then with increased affluence these days, we have more opportunities for distracting ourselves and avoiding what we feel. And so by the age of 15, 16, we could have built up a completely unconscious habit of denying the pain of life. And we wonder why we're so angry. Anger is a natural cover-up for denied sadness. We just think we've got a problem with anger. Maybe we don't even think we've got a problem with anger. Maybe we're just going around getting angry at everybody, thinking they've got a problem. What's the problem with everybody? Well, 
if we prepare ourselves with uh, wise reflection on, on dukkha, on, on the pain of life, and start to investigate, and say, oh, right, this extreme reaction that I'm having, just because somebody gently pointed out a fault, this extreme reaction is not what's going on right here now. This is the old stuff. And likewise, it often happens at funerals. Even with somebody who's old and you expected to die, this huge relief of, of grief. Where's that coming from? When somebody dies, and it can trigger the doors opening to previous denied loss, the pain of previous denied loss, and have an extreme reaction of grief. Actually, when that happens, it's a good opportunity. If we prepared ourselves in advance and have a sense that this is what's going on, then we can tolerate it. It makes it much easier to tolerate. Old, unmet dukkha. And then adopted dukkha is another category that personally I find it useful to factor in. Sometimes you people end up carrying things that they picked up from those people who they were close to when they were children and the most vulnerable, most susceptible. Everybody suffers fear of rejection, for instance. All human beings have that fear built into the nervous system. It's normal. It's self-protection. However, if those around us have got a a big backlog of, of such denied fear then in a curious way, that can impact, possibly, on us. and We end up having exaggerated reactions to life, not necessarily just because of things that we ourselves initiated or did, because of the company that we were in at certain stages of vulnerability in our life. We can adopt, so to speak, and this is metaphorically speaking, not literally, Of course, we're still karmically responsible, although we were young and our brains weren't properly developed. and We were still karmically responsible for taking on that reaction. And we're the ones that are going to need to find our way through to letting go. So, it's a safe assumption to presume that we are going to feel disappointed, frustrated, suffer at some stage in life. Let's prepare ourselves for it. Whether it's gross suffering or subtle suffering. Don't just think that we need to be paying attention to gross expressions of pain or experiences of pain. Personal, individual or global. Also, it's equally important, sometimes even more important, once we start to realize that we don't know, we don't have a conscious relationship to the pain of life, once we start to realize that, then sometimes it's the very small moments of disappointment that we need to pay attention to. The small moments of aversion, the small moments of sadness. Not just waiting for great, big, dramatic, emotional outbursts before we exercise interest and investigation. Somebody looks sideways at us and speaks in a certain tone and we start feeling a little bit of rejection and the tendency might be just to dismiss it. That's what's happened in the past and we push it down into unawareness and then it goes toxic. Emotions are energy. Energy that's pushed down into unawareness goes toxic. And sooner or later 
we're going to have to deal with it. And the longer we've pushed it away, the more difficult, complex and challenging it's going to be to meet it. However, meet it we must do if we really want to live truly, honestly. So it's not knowing, as the Buddha said, it's not knowing not knowing these two things, not knowing suffering, not knowing the cause of suffering. We can spend, we can spend years and years and years studying about Dhamma, studying the 84,000 things, trying to become something that we're not, unfortunately ignoring what we are. This is, again, this is often the case for for a lot of Buddhist meditators, they have some initial good experiences by giving themselves to the teachings and the techniques, and and then they think, "Oh, I want some more of that. Make me feel good. It's much better how I'm used to feeling." Well, that good feeling can give rise to a lot of faith, and that's that can be great. However, if we cling to that good feeling and become lost in it, that's really unfortunate, because this. It's the dukkha of life that the Buddha said. We're not knowing dukkha, not knowing the causes. That's what we really need to be looking at. The goal is wisdom. Goal is clear seeing. Goal is being able to meet life when it's disagreeable and not turn it into a problem. And that takes wisdom. And if we don't make the effort to prepare ourselves in advance, then we get overwhelmed over and over and over again. Overwhelmed by sadness, overwhelmed by anger, overwhelmed by disappointment, overwhelmed by bitterness, overwhelmed by fear. But that's not an obligation. That's why, personally, I find that categorizing suffering into those three classifications of present generated and old unmet and adopted dukkha helps us get a handle on it. If we have a huge, big backlog of denied anger, for instance, or denied anything, denied any denied suffering. And we try to progress in this practice. We try to understand these teachings, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. We try to look at the nature of experience as we're having it, really investigate it. It's like, the image that comes to my mind, it's like, it's like a blind person trying to read Braille with gloves on. We're not really getting the message. We're numbed. If we have this big backlog of pain because we pushed it down into unawareness, we can't even feel what our hearts are feeling. We're not there. We're not able to investigate it. You can imagine a, a blind person trying to read Braille with gloves on. How much information are they going to get? And that's like us when we haven't dealt with the backlog. Denied dukkha, or acknowledged you know, the possibility of adopted dukkha, and let's be careful that we don't get overly judgmental of ourselves when we meet this stuff. You know, challenging as it can be, it doesn't help to take it as an indictment against ourselves because we're suffering. It really doesn't help. And we don't have to do that. Like, if you stub your toe and it hurts, you don't criticize yourself. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling pain. Uh, the pain is saying, pay attention here. 
there's something you need to pay attention to. Likewise with our hearts, when our hearts are hurting, it's not an indictment against us, it's just saying, pay attention here, there's something to look at. What we need to look at is the way we're relating to experience. Even the joy of life, if we relate to it in a heedless way, we indulge in it, we create suffering. And that suffering is a message. That suffering is teaching us, saying, yes, feel the joy of life, feel the gladness, don't get lost in it. Feel the sorrow, feel the sadness of life, don't get lost in it. The dukkha is the message. It's, it's not an indictment against us. And again, whether it's whether it's subtle or whether it's gross, whether it's individual or whether it's collective, you look at what's going on in the world and, and it's, if you don't feel sad, in my books, there's something going wrong. And there's, how could we have allowed ourselves to get into such a state where there's so much dishonesty, so much disharmony, not through a lack of resources, not through a lack of information, through a lack of what? Well, that's the question. What is it that's lacking that means that we've got to this, this sad and sorry state? Well, the first thing we need to do is to be able to meet the sadness. So not just individual sadness about my personal problems, also global. We look at what's going on in the world. Not really. I think people look at the news and they're overwhelmed by sadness and say, oh, I can't look at the news anymore. Why not? Because we can't feel sad without becoming lost in sadness. So looking at the news can be a good experience in developing a contemplation. Can we feel sadness? Or is it the case as soon as we turn to sadness that we've got this big backlog of denied sadness and we can't handle it? Well, that's when we have to be careful and acknowledge that's what that is. All right. Now, I'm not a hopeless case just because I've got all this sadness. It, it does mean, though, however, I've got a project got a project, need to look at this and say, why can't I just meet the sadness of life? Surely the wise beings of the world, the awakened ones, can look at the sadness of the world and just feel compassion and understanding. Why can't I look at the world and just feel compassion and understanding? Good question. Very good question. So the trick is, the skill is how to meet ourselves in our sadness in a way whereby we don't get overwhelmed by it. In a way whereby we don't get crushed by it. In a way whereby we don't default to self-judgment and self-condemnation. Rather, we get the message of something to learn here. And the teachings instruct us, encourage us in ways whereby we, we can increase our ability to learn from these experiences. Mindfulness of the body, physically feeling in the body what it feels like when we encounter sadness, what it feels like when we encounter disappointment, what it feels like when we encounter anticipation. Like anticipation is a thing. We can be caught up in anticipation and instead of really meeting anticipation as a fear in our chest, in our belly, instead of really meeting it there and creating some space around it, expanding a field of awareness and saying, oh, this is what anticipation feels like. The energy goes whoop, up into our heads and we start creating stories. This is going to happen, that's going to happen, maybe all this, maybe all that. And, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about it and how can I handle this? And then we clench our stomachs and then we push the energy down into unawareness and 
can't have a cup of coffee or something and forget about it. Well, that's not a solution. That's just adding to the storehouse of denied dukkha, which is not contributing to the, our own well-being or the well-being of the world. Conversely, if we prepare ourselves in advance, mindfulness in the body, and we feel a moment of anticipation, physically take a deep breath, a slow, deep in-breath, physically expanding and suggesting to the heart and mind to create some space around this sensation of anticipation. Anticipation is not something happening in the future. Anticipation is a feeling that we're generating right now or being triggered right now because we're imagining something happening in the future. And we can do this. We can exercise this. We can invest in this. We can invest in physically training ourselves to be present for such a sensation. Or mentally, emotionally, we can prepare ourselves by reflecting on the four divine abidings, intentionally cultivating conscious caring, intentionally cultivating the heart of compassion, intentionally cultivating empathetic joy, intentionally cultivating equanimity, the four divine abidings that we've all heard about many times before building up these potentials so that when something comes along and whacks us, we've got, we've got some reserves, we've got some strength, the right kind of strength, not willful, brutal strength. That we, we meet it with a counterforce of aggression, meeting it with, with compassion. A friend of mine was explaining to me recently how they, they got what sounded like a terrible unfortunate medical diagnosis. They just recovered from one previous illness and, and then they went for a scan and, and the specialist came back and said, look, I'm sorry to say, but look, there's this lump here. And, and, and they were really knocked back momentarily. It wasn't for very long, thankfully. And then they remembered the practice of compassion and generating the heart of compassion, compassion for themselves, compassion that wishing that beings be free from suffering, that energetic well-wishing that beings be transformed the pain and the shock and the disappointment he felt into something really beautiful, something really beautiful and insightful. So there's something we can do about these habits that we've got of resisting the dukkha of life. We can prepare ourselves in these, these skillful ways. And, and let's remember that it's it's the faith that we have in the Buddha's awakening, this faith that we have that it's possible to be free from suffering. Suffering is not an obligation. So long as we're alive, we're going to feel pain. But pain is part of life. Suffering is what we make out of our resistance to life. We resist out of unawareness. We resist out of lack of education. We resist out of bad habit. We can do something about that. So let's all remember, we don't know what we have ahead of us. And it's really an unapologetic willingness, an unapologetic willingness to truly meet ourselves in our suffering that is the essentiality of this path of practice. Thank you for your attention. Yeah.